that I wanted to eat. I said, oh, I'm going to eat there. Okay, don't work that way. It doesn't work that way in the spiritual realm either. We have to, you know, put forth the effort. And when we do, you know, God cooks good meals. God prepares great meals. If we, if we don't eat them, then that's, you know, that's our fault. But he prepares them and he makes them available to us. And it's up to us to, you know, to participate. I said, you know, last week that, you know, we need to come expecting. We need to come to church pregnant. And the men didn't like being called, you know, telling they wanted, needed to come pregnant. But it, so I changed it to expecting. Because if you come expecting, when you come to church, you're going to get something out of it. If you come not expecting and just kind of put in your time, then you won't. That's the reality of it. And I want to come expecting every Sunday morning because I want God's blessing in my life. I want to come hungry and I want to leave full. Not just because it's pot blessing. <laughs> Today we get to speed both, both areas of our body. Let me pray. Let's pray. Praise the Father, Lord, I thank you for this. Uh, it was exciting and I thought, well, you know, that's a good start. Well, we got to continue on from that. And I was thinking about that. And uh, for us to continue on with something, you know, you start with something to continue on. How do you do that? And I was thinking about that, and I was wondering, well, you know, things continue in a church. What will make a church grow or the things that, that does those kind of things? And I thought, what is it? What makes a great church? What is it that makes it? Because if we have a great church, then people are going to want to come to a good church or a great church, aren't they? Now, what is it about the church in the, in the early days that when it first started, it was a great church? Because they gave us a lot of examples, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. They're going to be in Acts, the second chapter. And... Um, now, there was a survey done that said 10 to 20% of churches empower or uh, equip their people for witnessing. 10 to 20%. The other 80 to 90% of the churches, they're just into entertainment, containment, or just keeping the doors open. Now, that's a sad, sad, sorry thing for churches in America, isn't it? And I've seen that, and, you know, like you can see each other on TV and see that. If you watch a lot of Christian televisions, you can see that there's a lot of churches into entertainment. They just want to entertain you because they want you to come. They want you to put money in the offering, and they want you to, enter, if you're entertained, then you'll come. CS, CSI and those kind of shows are popular because we're entertained. We like to be entertained. And so those kind of churches are really popular. Well, I don't want this church to be in the entertainment business. I'm not here to entertain anybody. If you happen to be entertained, that's great. If you enjoy the service and, and those kind of things, then that's great. But I'm not an entertainer. I'd starve to death if I had been an entertainer. I mean, I don't know what I could do. I guess I could try some stand-up comedy or something. I've heard myself sing. I mean, I could pass in, you know, in, in, a, in a bind, I guess. <laughs> if, I, if I was the only singer in the world, I'd probably be pretty good. <laughs> But I've heard myself sing. But I have done a lot of music services in a lot of churches in, in my uh, lifetime, a of smaller churches, and I even sang in some big churches. So, but it isn't anything about any gifting or any talent. It's God. God is the one that we want. So I don't want to entertain anybody. I want to uh, give God's message here. When you come here, I want you to come hungry. And when you leave, I want you to leave full, full praising God and excited for the week ahead. That's what church is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be me equipping you to go do God's work. That's what the Bible says my job is. My job is to equip the saints. 
So I've got to provide enough information and things here for you to challenge you, to make you want to go out in the world and to be able to do the work of the ministry. I mean, revivals are great. I love revivals. Man, I just getting carried away. Oh, man, this is pretty good. We sang around here another hour. Man, I could probably start running. <laughs> but the cake beckoned, you know. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, we had a good time. And I think that those kind of services are something that God wants to do. There are times, there's times when the excitement is at a, at a high pitch and those kind of things. I like those kind of services. But I also like the kind where you just stand there and you just worship and just soak in the presence of God. Kind of like sitting out in the sun on a beach on a, you know, your day and the just hot sunshine just uh, covers you. Doesn't that feel so good to be able to do that? There's, there's services like that that we love too. But God wants to do those kind of things and not entertain the people. God didn't come to entertain us. Jesus didn't die on a cross to entertain us, so we'd be entertained from, uh, on our journey from here to heaven. He didn't lie. He came. He came dying on a cross so we could be saved. And he promised to give us life and give it us more abundantly. And he does that. My life is so much better now since I accepted Christ as Savior than it ever was before. I thought I was having a good time until I got saved. And that's the way the world is. They think they're having a good time. But they don't know that they're not. They don't know that they're, they're just trying to cover up the emptiness in their heart until they get saved. And it's up to us to be able to, to have something in our lives to be able to influence those people so they'll want what we have. I've been around a lot of Christians. Man, if they're Christians, I don't want their Christianity. Haven't you? Haven't you been around Christians like that? But I've been around others that, man, they're just, whoa, they're just so excited about what they're doing. And they're just so thankful and so grateful. And, man, the love of God just beams and flows out from them. And, man, that's, that, I want what they got. And that's what God has for every one of us here this morning. And that's what God wants for this church. He wants that, this church to be that kind of a place to where people will want to come here. Now, the early church, there was something that happened in the book of Acts, in the second chapter of Acts, that happened, and it wasn't entertainment. People didn't, didn't get excited about entertainment. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that changed the world. The church was just an ordinary place. You know, the disciples were hiding, and they were just tarrying, don't know what to do, and trying to figure out what, what they was going to do with their lives because their lives were totally, you know, devastated by the events that had happened. And God, Jesus told them to wait. And so they were waiting. They didn't know what they were waiting for. But they waited, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it wasn't pre, pa, uh, Peter's sermon that created a desire for people to become Christians. It wasn't his sermons. Because if you know a lot about Peter, man, he was just a, you know, just right out there, in-your-face type of guy. But it was the whole power of the Holy Spirit that you utilized through Peter that caused the people to come to Christ. Now, can you imagine... What it'd be like to have all your the sex offenders, politicians, drug drug addicts, uh, our, pol our politicians, our judges, all these people doing things according to God's word. Can you imagine what would happen if hundreds and thousands of them came to Christ in one day? Can you imagine what a change that would make in our society? Well, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Thousands and thousands of people, 3,000 people, right after one sermon. Man, I'll tell you, that's a good sermon Peter preached. Man, that's a good sermon. It was a long sermon, but it was a good sermon. And people wanted to say, what must I do to be saved? Because they felt the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants to do in our church, too. That's just not a, uh, an isolated event. God wants to do that here. 
And I want God to do that here. But that church turned the whole world upside down with the power through the power of God. It wasn't them, it was the power of God. And I believe that that can happen today. There's no reason why it can't happen today unless we can't think it ha- can't happen. See, if we start limiting God into what the things he can do and the things he can't do, then we'll never do anything in this community. But if we turn our lives over to God and we tarry, and we tarry until we be endued with power from on high, then all of a sudden we're going to be able to do the same things the disciples did. Because that's what started it all. That's what started everything, was just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I know that, that we can have that here. But anyway, I was looking at this and wondering, what was it about the, the church that made it so great? What is it that we need to, to pattern our church after? Now, if you look in the second chapter in the 41st verse, it gives us the answers. It's really simple. Things that we can do. And starting with verse 41, it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking in bread and in prayers. Then fear come upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now from these verses, we get the characteristics of a great church. And his first characteristic is found in the 42nd verse, and it said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine was very important. But see, they didn't have Bibles then. They didn't have any of the written word. If you wanted to read the word, all they had was the Old Testament, and then you had to go to the synagogue and somebody read it to you. Only the, the rabbis and the Pharisees and those kind of guys was the only ones that got to you know, really do a lot of reading. So all they had was the apostles. But the apostles, the apostles were infused with power from on high, but they also lived with Jesus for three years. He spent three years training these guys to take on when he left. See, the problem is we don't want the people in our church don't want to study. They don't want to find out these kind of things. But we need to be steadfast in the doctrine of the disciples. And thanks to the disciples, we have the New Testament. We have all the things that Jesus taught we have available to us, and we can read it anytime, I, anytime we want. And Jesus' spoken word changed lives. What he said is in here. And we can have this available to us. And we need to continue to study. So if we want to be a great church, we need to study the word of God. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have church. That's why we have power kids. That's why we have children's church. Because we want to be into the word of God. It isn't about the traditions of man. It isn't about what I believe. It's what God said. And what God said, I believe. And there's those two can't have to be coincide. Doesn't matter what I believe, what, what did God say? I believe everything in this book, even if I don't know it's there. You show it to me and I may never, never read it before, I still believe it. I believe in miracles, I believe everything that happened in this book. And if you don't, then you need to get, do some research until you can say and believe in your heart that this is the Word of God. And once you decide that, then we've got to be a studying church. We've got to be able to, to reach out to others. So we've got to be faithful in attendance because I'm here to equip you. But I can't equip you if you're not here. I can't do it. And you need to be faithful in your own study at home because 
these two days a week or three days a week, whatever it is that you're here, isn't going to be enough to make you survive through the week. You wouldn't survive if you ate one meal a week. And yet we try to in the spirit. And then we wonder, how come we have such a hard time with sin? We have a hard time because we're always hungry. We're always hungry because we're not full. I don't have a problem in going into a bakery when I'm full. After Thanksgiving meal, you couldn't tempt me with a piece of pie. You couldn't tempt me with chocolate. <laughs> but if I'm hungry, man, I'll tell you, that'll, that'll just tempt me to be. I'll tell you. I was here Saturday, and man, I was hungry. And I look around for something to eat, I found some candy bars. <laughs> I'm eating candy bars because I'm hungry. And I'm working here, around here, trying to get the kitchen ready. But I would have had something else if there was something there, but there wasn't. <laughs> but if we're hungry, then we're gonna, the devil's going to see to it we get filled up with things of the world. So we've got to be able to fill our souls and our spirit with the things that's going to keep us full so we can't be tempted by the devil. That's the reality of it. And this flesh, we blame the devil for a lot of stuff. In reality, it's just my, my desire for chocolate that gets me <laughs> or my desire for pie or ice cream. Those are the things that get me. <laughs> the devil, I can't blame the devil. I like to blame the devil. And he'll take credit for anything we give him, but we give him way too much credit. It's just us. If we can just conquer our own desires, we'll be fine. And the only way we can do that is by studying God's Word and be equipped. And that's what God wants a great church to be, is to be equipped, believe God's Word, study it, and have things so everybody else can come together and study God's Word. Um, next great thing about this um, great church is in, uh, they had a dynamic fellowship. In verse 42, it said, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Doctrine and fellowship goes hand in hand. Not only fellowship with each other this way, but this way. We've got to have fellowship this way and this way. It's very important. I mean, doctrine and fellowship. That's why I'm sold out to fellowship in this church, because I know how important it is. Because when we become part of, this, of a body like this, then we're uh, not so apt to do things that we shouldn't be doing. Kids join gangs. Why? Because of fellowship. For belonging fellowship is something we desire to have we need to have our spiritual um, person needs fellowship with God but our, our 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 soul and everything else needs fellowship this way we help strengthen each other we know that that how powerful fellowship is because the AA was made on the uh, stood on that and drug things that they go to and they have to go to these meetings and they have accountability to each other it keeps them settled it keeps them uh, their base and their foundation settled. Well, that's the same thing that happens in the church. If we're in church all the time, we are going to be as tempted to go out and do other things because we have this support system underneath us. Now, fellowship is more, not means, um, what is it? Konani is the word for fellowship, and it means more than getting together and just having a good time. That isn't what it's all about. It's about a bond. It's about a, um, a family atmosphere that we have together as a body of Christ. It's a belonging when you own, own stock in the com company, you're more apt to do things differently than you would otherwise. Isn't that true? If I own stock in a, uh, IBM or something like that, man, I'm going to be buying an IBM computer. I'm going to be buying all the stuff IBM makes. Well, if we have stock or we've invested in, into our fellowship here, we're going to come. We're going to come on work day <laughs> because this is my church. This is our church. I'm a stockholder here, you know. And I want to see to it that it grows. I want to reach out to the community. So fellowship is a key. That's why we have family night. 
It isn't that, you know, I ain't got anything better to do because I can sit home and watch TV or I can preach just as not. You know, I can preach too. But that fellowship, I know how important it is, how important it is for us to get to know each other because I want to know more about you. And you want to, should know, want to know about everybody else that's in here because if you have a problem, I want to help you with that problem. If you have a need, I want to be able to pray with you about that need. And if I have a need, I want you to pray with me about it to help me. Maybe if I'm going through something with one of my kids, maybe you've went through something with one of your kids and you can help me. How did you deal with it? But if we don't, don't have fellowship and if we're always on our own, doing our own thing, we'll never get nothing done because we're a body of Christ. I talked about we are the body a couple weeks ago. And we are the body. And you can't live without a heart, without lungs. You can't live without an arm. You can live without a leg, but you can't live without those essential things of the body. And most of the parts of the body are the essential parts that we don't see, like the fingers and the hands and that. We're used to these. We like to be a hand. Sometimes I think I'm the mouth. <laughs> but anyway, we are all part of the body. First John 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Christ, of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, we're going to have fellowship with one another. So if we don't want to have fellowship with one another, are we in the light? Jesus is the light. And he says if we walk in the light, if we walk the way that he wants us to walk, we're going to have fellowship one with the other. And we're going to love one another. So if we don't want to have fellowship one with the other and we don't want to spend time with each other, then maybe we need to, to get at the altar until we can find, find that light to flow through us so we do. Because God made us to want to be able to fellowship with other people and to be able to, to love one another because that's just the way he created it. And it's important because we have family dinners. You know, we always have family dinners, family reunions, and they're a good time that you have and you look forward to them, looking forward to seeing your, your brothers or your sisters after so many years or whatever it might be. But in family, family time was important. And uh, if you want to show your kid you love them, it's spelled T-I-M-E. If you want your son to know that you love him, spend time with him. If you want your family to know that you love him, you spend time with him. And it goes the same thing for here. If you want this church family to know that you love them, love the people that are here, we have to spend time together. And the more we spend time together, the more we're going to love each other, in spite of all our flaws, in spite of all our failures, because none of us are perfect. Like I said, when you get to know me, you're going to start seeing all the flaws I have in my life because I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I'm just a human being just like you are, and I make mistakes just like you do, probably sometimes more than you do. <laughs> and we got to know that, and we got to love one another, forgive one another, and I help understand the what the, the are. But that's God's will because he wants us to be a family because there's more strength in numbers. You know, you mess with one of my kids, you mess with me. My kids are growing up. You do anything to my kids, I'm going to be right in the middle of you. And I was on several occasions. I beat up one woman one time. Man, she, we, I was driving. I was just a teenager at the time. And I was driving somewhere, and this lady run a stop sign, pulled out in front of me, and I slammed on my brakes, and my brother fell forward and got the gear shift right in his side and just scraped it really bad. Man, I was ticked. Talk about road rage. I had road rage. And I went after her, and I thought, what is the matter with you? You know? And she starts smarting off, so I just drug her out of the car and beat her up. And her husband didn't say a word. I don't know why she was driving, but her husband didn't say a word. <laughs> he just, okay, 
Next time, look. <laughs> see, see what God brought me out of? <laughs> I was, uh, I didn't do a lot of talking back then. I thought action spoke louder than words. <laughs> but God did a wonderful work in me. You wouldn't even recognize me. The way that, I, that I'll tell you, if God can change me, he can change anybody, I'll tell you. The next great thing about a church, it includes communion. Acts, uh, verse 42 again says, They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship in the breaking of bread. Now this breaking of bread is communion, and we're going to have, have communion today. Because we have a body, we have to remember where we came from. We have to remember how are we a body. We're a body because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we're united under the cross. We're united in the blood and under the blood of Christ. That's what we have in common. And all relationships start with something in common. You know, it's amazing. When I'll go somewhere and you've never been before, uh, whether it's a new job or whatever it is, and you're on the job and, and somebody you know, happens to mention that they're a Christian, don't you just automatically just feel a bond that is attachment there that all of a sudden you like that person <laughs> because there's something that you have in common. If you're going somewhere... Uh, the new place that maybe it's a company dinner or something and you're sitting by somebody you never met before in your life and all of a sudden they find out you find out they like football and you like football or you like they like basketball and you like basketball and you think whoa this is all right and you sit there and you talk about sports and you talk about all these other kind of things and all of a sudden you go home and say you know i really had a good time tonight I didn't want to go because I didn't want to meet new people and all the hassle of the socializing stuff I hate. But you had a good time. Why? Because you started out on a common ground and you had fellowship and you got to interact and you got to talk about your team and their team and you got to talk about players and talk about things that are in common. Well, all of us here today, we have something in common and it's the blood of Christ. And we all are part of a family. Not only this family, we have our own families and we have kids and we have parents. And we, I know everybody here has a parent. That much I do know. You may not have any kids, but I know you have parents. <laughs> so you, you can relate to that, and we can talk about those things that are going on in your life. If you have pets. I have dogs, so hey, man, I can talk to you about dogs. And we can talk about how cute our dogs are, or the, some of the things that they did or they didn't do, and those kind of things, because we have that in common. And it's amazing how you just start talking about something that you have in common, and all of a sudden, you're having fellowship, and all of a sudden, say, you know, I really like that person. You know, I didn't think I'd like that person. How many times have we met somebody in our life that we look at them and we think, man, what a joke they are, or what a snob they are. There's some people that have an aura about them that they, they're snobbish, don't they? It's just something, you know, about them. And then you get to know them and think, man, why did I ever think they were a snob? They're not. Because it's that fellowship. It's getting to know someone that makes a difference in, their, in the life. And that's what God wants us to do in the church. He wants us to know all of us, and he wants us to come together and share and under the cross and have communion. So that's why we'll have communion. We'll continue to have it as long as, as long as I'm here, and hopefully as long as anybody's here, we'll have it. Because, and you don't have to come to church to do it. You can have it at home. There, there, it doesn't say you have to come to church to have communion. You can have it every day if you want to at home. There's no law against it. Uh, the next th uh, thing about a great church is includes constant and consistent prayer. Uh, verse 42 says, now I'm adding. If you notice, I just keep adding from one thing to the other to the other of the, of the things. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, the first century, man, they knew how to pray, didn't they? Man, they're sitting there praying, of course. And we think, well, yeah, well, they had more faith. 
Well, I don't know about that. They were praying for uh, Peter when he was in jail one time. Remember that? And they were praying, oh, God, set Peter free. And God sets him free. He's out there knocking on the door because he's set free. And they wouldn't believe he was out there. So they didn't believe God answered their prayer, but they were praying like crazy. (laughs) So they're no different than we are. But they were consistent in prayer. They knew they had to pray. They knew they had to have an attitude of prayer. And as soon as we cut prayer out of our lives, we're cutting a relationship this way off in our lives. And we cut this relationship off, the other relationships kind of trickle away. Because if you haven't, don't, haven't been praying and studying God's word, don't you feel uncomfortable when you're around Christians? Don't you a little bit? You know, if you, if you missed a couple days because you were lazy or whatever it is and you go to church or do something and you start, ooh, and you just feel uncomfortable because you know that maybe I should have done more. We need this communication. We need this prayer life. And they had, very, they had very strong prayer lives. They tarried all the time. They fasted and they prayed. And they needed to pray because their life depended upon it. Man, I'll tell you, they were persecuted and they were oppressed. And they needed to pray. They didn't have nowhere else to go because they were hunting, down, hunting them down and killing them. And one day they might be us. So we better learn how to pray now so we'll be able to survive then. Because God talks to us. Not only to give him our wish list, because sometimes that's what we do. We think, oh, Grandpa God, here's what I want for Christmas. This is what I want for day. I want a new car. And I want, just like a little Susie or Johnny, I'm sitting on Santa Claus's lap. Those things are all right. It's all right to ask for God's for our needs. Because he said, make your needs known. If you don't tell him what, he want, what we want, we'll never get it. Because an answer, if you don't ask, the answer is automatically no, isn't it? But God wants us to ask him for guidance and direction and everything that we make and the decisions in our life. If we would have just asked God before we did something, it might have saved us a lot of heartache. Wouldn't it? If we just asked God for guidance or got some counseling or something about an issue, it would have saved us some heartache instead of just bullheadedly go into it and do that. Sometimes we have to make quick decisions and we don't have time to you know, spend hours or weeks in prayer. But generally speaking, we usually know in a well enough advance that we start praying for God's guidance. Like you're going to go look for a new car. You don't just all of a sudden go to, go to uh, Walmart and end up buying a new car. Anyway, I hope not. <laughs> you usually go looking for a new car when you want to buy a new car. So that's where the prayer, you start praying. Say, God, I'd like a new car, and I don't know whether I should buy a new car. Help me to decide if I want to get a new car or not. And then do the things that you need to do to see whether or not you can afford a new car. But we need to ask God for guidance in all the areas of our life, especially when raising our kids. Because I'm not kidding you, this is a handbook that'll help you raise your kids. But the Holy Spirit flowing through you will help you with wisdom on how to apply it to your kids' lives. Because they don't like to be told what to do. Do they? I never liked it. Oh, man, I hate people telling me what to do. Sometimes I still do. Even though they were my boss, I hated being told what to do. And sometimes, you know, as a woman, you get in there with that submit thing, and sometimes that gets in the way. I don't like that submit thing. I tell people sometimes, I said, oh, you know, I had to do this. Well, why? Because of that submit thing, you know. (laughs) But anyway, we have to be in consistent prayer and be a church of prayer. And that's why I call it the altar. That's why I want you to pray on Sunday nights, 15 minutes before service, for revival and for uh, help us to outreach the community. And that's why I bring you to the altar. It's not the... 
you know, it isn't any legalism about it. It's just that we've got to get used to coming to the altar. We've got to get used to coming to God with our needs and putting it on the altar. See, in the Old Testament times, they brought the things actually to the altar itself, and they placed it there. Well, we don't have, I don't think you want all that stuff that goes with those kind of things, all the smells of the dead animals and all the other kind of stuff that goes along with it. I just soon, you know, it'd be like going to having church service at the dump. I don't think I'd like to do that because those dump doesn't smell very good. So we can come to this altar and it's nice and clean and we just present ourselves before God and say, here I am today. Here I am, Lord. Here's this need that I have. I want to give it to you. Or, Lord, I've come. I, want, I need a refreshing in my spirit. Refresh me, Lord. But we need to get used to that. I told them uh, this last week, I feel like a dentist sometimes, trying to pull teeth, trying to get people to come to the altar. It's like pulling teeth in a dentist chair. We need to be willingly and just automatically just go to the altars and say, hey, expecting, I'm expecting God to, to do something at the altar. I'm expecting to come to meet my need because it's obedience. It's just like the oil. There's no power in the oil. There's no power in these altars at all. There's nothing there. It's just one different area of the of the floor, no, no different. It's the act of obedience of coming to God and showing, I'm serious, I want to come. I want to, be, I want to surrender my life to you. That's what it's all about. And we need to get over that. As, as Americans, we have a hard time doing that. But we need to get over that and be consistent in prayer. The fifth thing about a great church, becoming a great church, is that they took action. Uh, verse 43 says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the possible. Man, many things happened. I'll tell you, when the power of God showed up, things happened, didn't they? Wow, it was exciting on the day of Pentecost. Miracles and all kinds of things happened throughout this Bible or in this New Testament. And we think, wow, that was such a great thing. Well, hey, God is a God of action. The only problem is he wants that action to happen through us. And we're not willing to, to walk it out. God says, go down there and pray for your friend that's sick. Oh, Lord, you know I don't like them. I don't care if they're sick. <laughs> they deserve to be sick. They probably did something to mess up anyway. And God's telling you to do this. Say, no, I know, but I want to heal them. Well, God, I don't know whether I want you to heal them or not. <laughs> but God tells us to do things, but we don't want to do it. Because, well, what happens if it don't work? If I go down there, what happens if it don't work? Then what are we going to do? Well, hey, hey, it isn't your problem. It's God's problem. If God tells you to do something, we need to be in action and go and walk it out. And when we're infused with power from the Holy Spirit, we can't stand still. I have a hard time standing still in case you didn't notice. It's hard for me to sit still. I was one of those in school that, man, I'll tell you, the, the teachers used to beat me up every day because I couldn't sit still. I couldn't keep my little mouth shut either. Man, I've had teacher take by the hair of the head and beat my head into the wall. So I got brain damage. <laughs> I got brain damage. Because that's the way it is. It's hard. But when the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it's hard not to do something. Because God wants, is a God of action, and he wants to do stuff through us. We are God's feet. We are God's hands. We are God's voice to this world. So we have to be people of action. In order to be a great church, this church has to be a church of action. So when the community says, hey, there's life here, that kitchen that we, we finished out there, man, that shows there's life here. There's action going on here. We're going to have work day, and that's going to show action is going on. We're preparing this place. I'm preparing this place for revival. I'm preparing this place for growth because just as sure as that kitchen's there, we're going to have some expansion going on here. God didn't take any more faith for that kitchen than it does for this. 
Same God, both places. And that's God's will is to reach the community. But the problem with reaching the community is we have to be people of action because what are we going to do with them? What would we do if 100 people all of a sudden showed up for church and got saved? What would we do? We'd panic. Well, nice seeing you, Pastor. Have a good time. <laughs> but see, all of us are supposed to be action people. We're all supposed to be, want to be in that discipling mode to, to be able to help people get through that. That's why we don't have 100 people saved here in one night because we don't have the foundation in place to minister to them because we're called to disciple people. If you've been in this church longer than three years, you're, a disciple. you're not a disciple anymore. You're an apostle. They only got three years, three and a half years sitting under Jesus' ministry before they became apostles. <laughs> because they're not disciples anymore, they're disciplers. And that's what God wants us to be, disciplers. He wants us to go out and reach the people and disciple and help them to know about God and teach them how to pray and teach them how to read their Bible and all these other kind of things. It's our responsibility. It's not just my responsibility. It's your responsibility just the same. God called every one of us to be ministers. We're supposed to minister within our body, and we're supposed to minister outside the church. So if no, we don't have any new people because you didn't invite anybody. You need to bring somebody with you. You need to invite them to church. You need to, need to be people of action. That's God's will. The sixth principle for a great church, it has a heart for giving and sharing. Uh, Verse 45 says, And all who believed together had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as they had need. Now, I know this is what our government's trying to do now. They're trying to take from the have-nots, or the haves and give them to the have-nots. That's what they're trying to do. Whether we like it or not, that's what they're trying to do. But that isn't God's plan. Verse uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, even, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if anyone would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. But now them that are such, we command that and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. It isn't God's will for people to take from one person to give it to the other. It's God's will for the church if they see a need to be able to willingly give and share, be willing to share. That's what God's will is. And it's the church, it, the church and the called out ones of Christ are the ones that give to all these charities that, that, to the world. If there's a need anywhere in the world, it's the Christians that respond because we have hearts for sharing and hearts for giving. And as a church, that's what we want to be. We want to be able to help people, especially in our own body. If we have someone here that has a need, we should be able to want to be able to reach out to that need and help them. That should be go without saying. But as a church body, if we see a need that we can meet, we should be willing to want to do it because that's what the early church did. Now, they had all things in common. Now, things were different then, back then, than they are now. And we may end up having to go back to that time someday because they were severely persecuted. And so they were, a lot of some of them were hiding in some places, so other people provided for the people that were uh, in hiding because it cost you your life or provided for those that were trying to disciple people and minister. So all these things were, were provided. But we know that these compound things don't work. Today, we've seen compounds in Colorado City, and we've seen them in Texas and seen all these things. They don't work, and that isn't God's plan. It isn't God's plan for us to just lock ourselves up in their own walls and my four and no more. That isn't God's will. God's will is to get us out of the church and out to where the needs are and where the people are. 
And if we can't meet a need physically, we can pray for them. Because God can meet the need. It's all if we'll pray. And if you can't do anything else but pray, then hey, that's the best thing we can do. But we have to have a heart and be a willingness to share. And that's what pop blessings are all about. We're sharing. I'm eating some of your food, you're eating some of mine. And I'll probably eat more of your food because I cooked mine. <laughs> and stuff always takes... <laughs> Didn't have to say oh, amen quite so loud, honey. <laughs> But other stuff that you fix seems like what other people fix tastes better than what you fix. Isn't it amazing how you can go to somebody else's house, your kids will go to somebody else's house, and they'll eat and rave about the food, but they'll come home because it's common stuff. But hey, man, this is good over here. Could be the same stuff, same recipe, everything. It's just the idea that someone else cooked it. And I like stuff other people cook, especially cookies. <sighs> anyway... <laughs> Matthew 25, 41 through 43 says, Then he will say to those who lay on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. See, God's plan is for us to help people. To find, if we see a need, to help them. Especially in our own congregation. And he says, if you don't help them, you're not helping me. And if you do help them, you're helping me. So every time we help someone and every time we do something, Jesus says, you're doing it for me. You're doing it just as if it was me you were doing it for. And when we look at it in those, that reality, then that should make us give us a little more willingness to want to do it, to want to do things for Christ. Because God holds a, puts a great weight on helping. And when Christ lives in our heart, we can't help but want to help people. That's the reality of it. And that it's easier to reach someone for Christ if we help them with physical things. If someone has some kids and the mother's just frazzled, single mom, maybe we can go watch their kids. That's something we could do. It wouldn't take a lot of, uh, doesn't cost any money, just takes some time. Because you spell love, T-I-M-E. And that also applies to, to the elderly woman down the street or the kid, the uh, the kids that don't have a father, or whatever it might be. We need to be aware of the needs and be able to meet them. Uh, next, last thing about a great church is filled with joy. Uh, verse 46 says, that They continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Gladness means extreme joy. And as Christians, we should have joy in our heart. Because you can't be a Christian and not have joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. God infuses us with power and he also infuses us with joy. So we don't have to worry about what's going on in this world. Life will make you bitter, but joy will make you better. And God has a plan for us to be joyful every day. He wants to fill our lives with joy. He wants us to be examples to the world. Because nobody wants to be around if somebody has the mully grubs all the time. I hate being around somebody that's depressed, don't you? All we're talking about is negative. I like to be around positive people, people that are happy, people that have, have a bright outlook on life. Those are the people you want to hang up with, hang out with, because it rubs off on you. You feel better. Don't you feel better after you've been around somebody that's joyful? You don't have to do anything. If you're just around somebody that, that, that is just joyful and they don't say a word, it's just that spirit about them. And that's what God's will is for our lives, to be, the, be people full of joy, that when people come around us, that just say, man, I want that. I like whatever it is, and it just rubs off on them. 
But if they come in here and everybody in the church is so depressed and so upset about all these things, nobody want to come here. They want to be here. But a will, if we're all full of joy and we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and we're excited about Christ and we're excited about serving Him, man, they're going to want to come here. And that's what makes a great church. I want Trinity to be a great church, don't you? We have spent so many years playing church that we forget what we're here for. I'm reminded of the story about the guys the mayor went through and he decided he'd drive around town to see what was going on of this big city. And he went there and he seen these guys and there was these two guys. And one guy was sitting and he was digging a hole. And then the other guy come right behind him and he's filling the hole. And he'd go dig another hole and the other guy's filling the hole. Digging a hole and filling the hole. Now, well, the best of it, they got the mayor and he finally said, man, what in the world are these guys doing? And he says, what are you doing? And he says, well, there's usually three of us. I dig the hole, the tree planter plants the tree, and the other guy fills it up. But the tree planter called in sick today. But we decided we're going to come and we're going to do our job anyway. Kind of doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> That's sometimes what we do as, as a church. We come in and we think we have our own special thing going on here. And if something's missing, it doesn't matter. We dig a hole and we fill it up. Well, I don't want us to play church here. I want us to be a great church, and I want us to have all seven of these characteristics that makes a great church. I want God's word and God's will to be prime in this church. I want to have a dynamic fellowship. I want us to love each other. I want us to be part of each other's lives and families. That's what I want. I want to be able to share a communion together when we share it. And I want us to be a church of prayer. And I want to be a church of action that doesn't just speak the words, because actions speak louder than words. You can tell people all you want how much God loves them, but they want you to show them how much God loves you, how much God loves them. Action speaks louder than words. And we want to need to be a, a church of giving and sharing. We are givers in the church because most of us uh, give money to the, to the help of the church, and without it, we wouldn't be able to have a church. We wouldn't have to be able to pay our light bill. We wouldn't be able to do anything we do around here for the body. So I'm glad that you're faithful with that. And I want to be a church filled with joy. And if we do these things, if we do these seven things as a body of Christ, this church will grow. Because the ancient, the early church, it grew. And it became powerful. And it became so powerful that it, it brought the Roman Empire to its knees. Didn't it? And the emperor got saved and changed the whole thing of Christianity. I know we look at Washington and we say, hey, that can't happen here. But I, it can happen. Yeah. It can happen. God can save anyone. If he can save Paul, he can save anybody. Yeah. Because he can do it. And he can save our politicians. And if we're praying for them, that God will give them guidance, they could do something accidentally, you know, if God will let them. <laughs> but we have to pray for them. If we don't say, God, you pull up powers, you take them down. God, take them down or save them. I want some righteous leadership in our nation. And I believe we can have it. I believe we can have it. And I believe that we can turn this area upside down for Christ if we follow these seven guidelines. And if we fulfill our place in the body and we make sure that we've got all those things lined up in our own heart, that we can do it. Do you want to be a great church? Don't you want to be 